there. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Welcome to the Live Healthy Podcast. I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, the Editorial Director of Live Healthy and host of the podcast. And today I'm really excited. I'm with Charlotte Spurway, a British psychologist who offers a relaxed but accountable approach, blending conventional types of therapy with modern coaching techniques. I think this is so necessary and Charlotte is new on the scene. So we're going to talk all about what that actually means if you were to see her or if you're having the sort of problems that she um uh, addresses. So welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about everything I do um, and attachment with you today. Okay. So first of all, can you go over your approach to therapy and how you've combined it with coaching? Because I think this is really brilliant. There's a lot of coaches wandering around out there and I don't sometimes know what some of them are doing. And I sometimes think people I know who are seeing coaches should probably be seeing therapists, but I also think therapy should have an element of coaching, but I also think sometimes they're at odds. So tell me how you blend it all together. Yeah, so exactly right. Um, So I kind of found this niche in the market where exactly what you're saying, there was some people going to coaches, but maybe needed to dig into um, their situation a little bit more deeply. Um, and weren't kind of getting that. And then I found that on the conventional, typical Western therapy model, it wasn't really um, accelerating recovery and healing um, quickly enough. So I've kind of done the training on both sides. Um, So I'm kind of like a 50-50 and I'm more flexible with my clients with it with uh, what they need um because so many people still today even with the movement in mental well-being um and you know all of this amazing change lots of people still don't like the word therapist or they still don't like the word psychologist it's kind of like oh i need to be careful what i say um i don't need to talk to anybody i'm fine you know and I think for me, it's trying to change um, that tide where you, there doesn't need to be the typical I'm unwell approach. You know, everybody needs to speak and talk about what happens in their day to day weekly lives. And I think the word coach is brilliant because it's removed this. Shall we use the word fear? Uh, surrounding speaking to a therapist um, with some people. So, yeah, it's a 50 50, as you said. I'm very casual rather than clinical in my approach and my referrals are kind of like, Hey, talk to Charlie. Um, You know, she'll hold you accountable. You can have accountable conversations that are going to make you change and and kind of accelerate a lot quite quickly um, rather than feeling the onerous hours and hours of sessions. Well, as you're talking, I'm remembering in my forties, I was quite 
adrift because I, I obviously wanted to change my career path, but when you have a good job, you don't always want to wake up to that reality. And I ended up in therapy and I had a life coach for a, a couple of months. I had them both and I found them very at odds. Like here, the therapy was saying, Oh, Amory, you've got these, you know, wounds from your childhood that are driving your behavior today. And then I would go to the coach and they'd say, um, I wasn't allowed to have any Thing that was holding me back. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I, and I found like, I just found it so confusing that I stopped the coaching because I just felt like this is not really helping me. So how do you combine those things together? The, the exploring what it is that from your, first of all, if you can talk about that, exploring what it is from your childhood, that's sort of hampering or driving your behavior today. And then, and then also holding people accountable at the same time. Yeah, that's a brilliant question. So my whole structure is based on attachment theory. So when clients come to me, um, I always say it doesn't matter really what it is you're going through as such, um, because it all links back to attachment theory. And this is a new contemporary kind of transition. Um, I mean, Bowlby's been around. I don't know if you've heard of him or read um, the famous book by Dr. Lemire Levine about attachment, attached. Um, It's very popular, especially in the UAE. You hear people talking about it all of the time. Um, But that book is kind of quite straightforward and it goes so much deeper. And you mentioned core wounding. This all goes back to your childhood. Um, and how our attachment has been created from our first family and our caregivers. Um, So with my approach, it digs really deep into that. And not everyone obviously is as skilled up on on how attachment works. So to give you a little bit of example, um, you know, I'm sure you've been around your group of friends. Uh, You can maybe think of an example Um, But some friends love to message you all of the time, always have to be on call to you, always out for dinners and things. And possibly we might want to label them as needy, right? Or they overgive. And then some of our friends or family members might be, oh, actually, I'm kind of happy being more on my own. I'm happy to be a little bit more independent. So I keep people at arm's length Um, and I don't kind of feel like I need people. Um, so there's kind of like two small examples. Okay. And okay. So as I understand it, I have read that book attached. There are, there are four kinds of attachment. Can you go through those different kinds of attachment and how, how they come to be? And are we all really one of the four? Yeah, so uh, people would argue that you're kind of in one of these four attachment theories, and you're correct. There's secure, um, there's anxious, preoccupied, there's dismissive avoidance, and then there's fearful avoidance. And you, it's kind of like you fit into one of these four, but I don't like to categorize or label people. I think there's a lot of people who go, oh, hey, yeah, that date went wrong because they're avoidant, right? Or... Um, they're secure because they're in a committed relationship. And it's kind of like labels don't exist. For me, attachment theory is like on a continuum. We might be associated more with one direction than the other direction. And throughout our lifetime, um, luckily we can actually change it. And that's where I come in and we can reprogram and we can evolve um, where we are. So it really goes back to when we were babies. 
Um, and the first kind of 10 years of our life, especially, are really important uh, with this attachment. So if we were in a consistent household, we might be more secure. If we had an inconsistent parent, maybe one day they were great at giving us the love and affection we, we craved. On another day, maybe, I don't know, they were busy with work. So we kind of felt a little bit neglected. And maybe this pattern happened over and over again. Um, maybe you can go back to your childhood now and think, oh, yeah, actually, I was involved in a divorce. Or maybe a parent of mine died. Or maybe there was substance abuse. Okay. Or maybe it just simply was. One day my parents were great because they were trying their best with the knowledge they had. And on another day, because we're all human, we weren't being great. So to a young child, that's creating this kind of push-pull dynamic with attachment um, and how secure or insecure um, we are. Um, would you like any further examples with that? Um, or can you think of any within your friendship group where um, you can kind of see this coming up? Yeah, so, you know, I think the common one, the common most obvious ones are anxious anxious, secure, and the avoidant one, right? And I know that I, I, I've i had friends that they start dating someone, you're on the outside of it, and you can tell that this person's pulling away, right? But that person, your friend, the person you know is telling you, they're clinging tighter, they're pulling harder, they're messaging them. And, and they're even the kind of they're so anxious that they're the person who will show you the list of messages. And you're like, I don't want to see your messages. <laughs> like, it's like, I don't, you know, you guys are in it together. Like whenever someone pulls out their phone to show me their messages with a guy, I always think, okay, I like, we're getting into an area here that's really anxious. And it makes me feel sad because I've been through this. So yeah, that's an, one example where um, the person's pulling away and the friend or, or acquaintance is going in deeper. Like they're panicking. And so what's going on there? Yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of called the push-pull dynamic between the anxious and the avoidant. Um, and they kind of attract each other in a weird way. But ultimately, it all goes back to their attachment needs. Um, and somebody might need space because they're starting to feel unsafe. Their um, built-in protection mechanism is to pull away because that way I can't be hurt and possibly that comes from somewhere back in, in their life experience where they've noticed that people are unreliable. So maybe a parent let them down. Maybe a past lover's let them down. Um, so it's easier to shut off and protect themselves than possibly go into being vulnerable. Okay. That person needs to regulate their nervous system. Whereas the anxious person is going, oh, my gosh, they're pulling away. They kind of have fear around abandonment or I'm going to be alone. So maybe their parents uh, were abandoning them more as children. It's quite a big word to use, but it could be just that inconsistent behavior that we talked about earlier. Um, it could be that they've had their heart broken in a previous relationship by someone they loved. So possibly they become more um, needy and need their attachment bond so that they don't feel like they're going to be on their own um, again. Um, and I think what we forget as adults is we just think it's maybe because someone's not into us or maybe that's the way we are. But what most people don't realize is 95% of our behavior 
with everything that we do, and sometimes even we say, is the subconscious mind. And that's been reprogrammed. And I always say to my clients, do you have as much free will as you think you do? Because if we're programmed by 95% of the subconscious mind and only 5% conscious, well, we're on autopilot most of the time. So if we're speaking to someone, is it autopilot or am I being conscious? You know, let's think about when we walk down the corridor in a workplace, everyone's like, hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. They kind of don't actually interact in that conversation. Um, So when it comes to attachment, most people don't even know what attachment is, let alone how it's affecting their behaviors, what they're saying and what they're doing. Um, And for me as a practitioner, that's quite scary because if you don't have that knowledge and you haven't dug around that, it's kind of like, well, actually, are we living our lives in autopilot mode? And we're not actually consciously present in the life or the relationships that we are interacting with, whether that's friends, family or romantic partners. And it's scary to think like you could actually have two people meeting in Dubai, having an entire relationship and getting married and maybe not even doing it very consciously. Is that possible? (laughs) I mean, for sure, because (laughs) if... I find for me that most people want to speak to someone when they go through a painful event. Okay. So if things kind of seem okay, nobody ever goes into seeing um, a practitioner, right? Um, It's only when we have that core wound or that core pain from something that we go, I kind of don't want to blame people anymore. Like I'm 50% of every relationship I've ever been in. Okay. Again, whether that's romantic friends or family. So if I don't have my stuff together and I'm not conscious about what I do, I'm maybe negatively impacting that relationship that I'm in and not even knowing that I'm doing it. You know, we all have repeated arguments, right, with partners, okay? Or maybe we have the same things come up when we're dating. Or maybe we realize the same thing with friendship is occurring. And people kind of make these points but we're so good at not wanting to take accountability or responsibility for what we do. It's so much easier to go, oh, no, it was them. They just went and that into me or they've got the issue or oh, that family member, like they really need to sort their stuff out or everyone's we're so good at blaming. Everyone's an Exactly. And everyone's an narcissist, everyone's an avoidant. Like we hear these just words thrown out all of the time and there's nothing wrong with being an avoidant. Like there's, it's just a coping mechanism for attachment. And it's, it can be perfectly healthy if people know how to reprogram those behaviors. Um, and an anxious is just as sabotaging as an avoidant. So going back to that, if we're not conscious, we're probably doing a lot of harm from our own behaviors. And we don't even realize we're doing it because we automatically blame others for a situation that doesn't go in the direction we want it to. That's so funny. I mean, I, I, I realized this all a couple of years ago and then illuminated years of dating behavior where I think even to the point where you're looking at text messages and you're not even reading them correctly because you're already sensing abandonment that isn't maybe even there. You're just, you're, it's like an altered reality because you're not really in reality, but it's so confusing, isn't it? Because this is all tied up in modern dating culture, which is people, you know, filing through Tinder and using people. So the abandonment 
prospects are real. And I've always had a side of avoidance as well, where, you know, I started dating way back in the day where you'd go on a date and then someone would call you three days later, you wouldn't hear from them for three days. It was heavenly when I think about it now. Um, (laughs) I remember years ago, like you'd meet the nice guy, but he was too nice. You'd say, well, I'm busy for the next two days. Then he would call you and say, can you do something? That would always put me off because I think I told you I was busy for the next two days and I, I could see you on the weekend. So I that would really turn me off. So I always thought there was something wrong with me. Now I think it's like this combination of avoidant, but you just placing your own boundaries and then another person can't respect them. Like it's a minefield, Charlotte. Like it's like it's so confusing, right? And now when you're getting good morning messages from someone on Tinder that you just met and you're starting to feel like you're in a relationship, it doesn't it just like people must just be really struggling. Yeah, so I noticed this a lot, especially in the UAE um, over the recent years. And this is one of the reasons that I retrained and also did um, some research around attachment theory um, to kind of develop this new strategy, uh, because people were experiencing exactly what you've just said. Um men were expected to be a certain way, right? To come and collect you or to take you on a date or um, women were kind of going, oh yeah, he hasn't messaged me. So that's kind of it or the waiting game, right? I'm not going to message them if they don't message me or possibly, oh no, I'm just going to message because that's what I want to do. So this is exactly attachment. What we should, what we think we should be doing or the expectations of what we think others should be doing is those rose-tinted glasses that we wear because we've only got our experience of how we were raised or the experiences that we've gone through and maybe our family or circle of friends who have influenced that. But that doesn't mean it's right, does it? That doesn't mean it's healthy. That doesn't mean it's the way it's supposed to be. And especially in the UAE, there's lots of cultural differences So there's lots of different expectations and you're kind of mixing this up in a bowl that makes relationships with others. Again, whether that's friendship, we have different expectations with friends, with, um, you know, romantic interests. And I think the key point is if we don't know what we're doing consciously, then are we ever going to truly be happy creating those healthy relationships within ourselves and with others? Um, because our wounding and our attachment is not necessarily the right way to be doing things. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like the antidote to all of this is learning how to live consciously, not fixing yourself, just learning how to live consciously and then find other people who can do that with you. Yeah, I think um, in an ideal world, everybody would seek out, um, you know, a practitioner, work on their attachment, work on their core wounding, because without that, we're not free. Um, Until we have that awareness and we can start truly looking at the behavior we're doing, well, we're not ever going to be creating those amazing, healthy, um, happy relationships with others because nobody wants to be alone right? Nobody wants to be abandoned. Nobody wants to genuinely be in fear of getting close to somebody. People want to be in love. People want to feel nurtured. People want that connection with others. That's what being human is all about. We need it, okay? 
regardless of people who go, oh, no, I'm truly independent. Um, I don't need anyone else. Well, actually, it's kind of a lie. Uh, we're all human and we all need somebody. You're just saying that or your ego or your subconscious is saying that because once upon a time, it worked to protect you in a situation to be on your own. And when we've had one positive experience from that protection, our subconscious mind goes, oh, okay, well, it worked once. It's always going to work. And actually, we hear this word of sabotage, right, um, all of the time. Are people sabotaging? Well, actually, are we truly sabotaging? Or is our subconscious mind just trying to protect ourselves from something that happened way back in our past that we probably can't even remember? Oh my gosh, brilliant. Okay, so you did some very interesting research as part of your master's degree, fo focusing on how being an expat affects attachment here in the UAE. And I think that's really, really interesting. I've not heard anyone talk about the expat attachment link. So can you tell me a little bit about what you found, what you did and how you found? What you found? Yeah. So my research was looking at how um, being an expat um, affected attachment theory. Um, and quite interestingly um what i heard from the stories that we've been talking about with like within relationships and dating seeing that oh it's really difficult to have a relationship in um dubai or, or abu dhabi it's really difficult to date here okay we hear these things all of the time so i wanted to see if there was any data to support these stories that i had heard uh, and i found it fascinating um so <laughs> what i found was is that yeah, there is truth behind what we hear in that the longer we're an expat, especially when we're single, we develop more um, insecure attachment association. Um, the longer we're in a partnered, committed or married relationship, the more secure you can become. Um, so it was fascinating when we say dating here is difficult um, and it would sort of suggest that, yeah, there's data that kind of supports that. But as a practitioner, taking it away from, you know, the, the data level, yeah, it's our attachment. But I believe that the longer we're away from home, and this could be if you're a university student, if you're a government official, if you're in the armed forces, I don't believe it has to just be about expats. The longer we're away from our kind of home origin and our first family, the more we kind of have been forced to be independent, right? As we leave home, we have to be more independent. If we leave a city, if we leave a country, that independence needs to go. And we're further away from that, that love and affection that we had maybe from our old friends, our school friends, or possibly our family and home origin. So it does look like it creates more insecure attachment the longer we are away from home, definitely, but definitely here in the UAE from being an expat. I think it was um, over 60% of the sample that I had were insecure, which would be avoidant and anxious versus um, secure attachment. So, yeah, fascinating. What would you like to know? Because I could talk about that all day. <laughs> So your anxious or avoidant attachment, attachment style doesn't actually have to always do with childhood. Your experiences in adulthood can can 
swing you either way. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's say um, we had a very secure upbringing. um, And I don't know, at 18, we left for university, right? The first year of uni might have been amazing. We might have found a group of friends um, that made us also feel secure. Or maybe we met people that we kind of had that push and pull dynamic. We didn't kind of feel settled. That automatically can start to change. Remember, I said it's a continuum, whether we start maybe migrating one way or the other. Then maybe um, let's remember our first boyfriend, girlfriend, our first romantic relationship. Maybe we were the one to break up with them or maybe they were the ones to break up with us. Was there kind of heartbreak around that? Um, as we get older, we naturally have more romantic relationships, which when we're in love is hugely impactful on our attachment. Okay, so again, we've all got that name, right, of that one person who broke our heart. Uh, I, I remember everyone's probably thinking about them now. Um, and have you truly ever got over that? Have you truly gone into your core wounding um, to repair from that? Or do you still go, oh, okay, yeah, I don't want to ever fall in love again because it will keep me safe. I don't want to go through that pain again. Or I really just don't ever want to be abandoned or be alone again. So it's safer to kind of keep people at arm's length. So with that subconscious mind coming in, now people get to their 30s or their 40s or their 50s, they've never done any of this kind of self-work before. And have they always been pushing people away? when they've been blaming others, like, you know, everyone goes, I want to find the one. Have I found the one? Well, maybe the one doesn't exist. Maybe you kind of keep automatically trying to find faults in people so that you can be on your own and keep yourself safe again. Right. So um, maybe you had a divorce or maybe you lost a loved one. Um, You know, there's so many different reasons and experiences that come into changing our attachment throughout our lifetime. Um, And if we're not aware of that, that really concerns me because are we living those prosperous, healthy, happy relationships with others and ourselves um, that we could be if we just kind of had this slight reprogramming or awareness um, of that attachment? So what do people do then? I mean, obviously you can have therapy and coaching, but what would you suggest some first steps if this is resonating with people Yeah. So um, the first thing I would say is know that nobody's perfect. There is no premium healthy version of a human. It doesn't exist. But what I think is really important for people is to just create that awareness. And the first thing you can obviously do is find out more about attachment theory and what attachment style you have. Um, And you can do that if you visit my website. There's actually a free quiz on there. Um, And it will, you answer some questions and it will plug in which of the four categories that you might fall into. Um, And that's on charlottesboway.com. Once you know your attachment style, you can then start to review and evaluate maybe what you say, maybe what you do. Um, Start to go into, yeah, the last encounter I had with a work colleague or um, a romantic relationship or a friend, what, what was my behavior? And once you can start to identify, you know, small nuggets of aha moments and go, oh, yeah, actually, I kind of I've messaged way too much today or I sent those really long voice notes or 
Yeah, I haven't reached out to that person. I kind of like really like to have in my life and it's been two weeks now. So what are we doing? Okay. Um, is it like you were saying you were busy for two days, right? The, the example you used earlier and then wanted the call or actually is that you going, am I just using that as an excuse to have that time with myself for those two days I'm busy at work and then I'm kind of, I'm then safe enough to speak to that person. Right. Um, so that's what I would say. It's all about awareness and then definitely find a practitioner. Um, someone like myself um, who's trained and skilled in integrated detachment theory um, to kind of help you go into and explore and unplug because we can do most of this work on our own, but to be fully accountable for someone to kind of hold the mirror up and have those difficult, hard conversations with you, um, you can't really do that on your own or with friends or family. Um, and that's when I would say definitely if you've never done it or you found someone you're not truly connecting with, um, get into, you know, a minimum of a 12 session um, kind of program and really start to explore uh, what you do and why you do it. Because uh, it will just change in such a positive way that relationship you have with yourself. Um, you won't feel be feeling anxious or kind of feeling overwhelmed. Um, and it will definitely have a positive impact on those other significance in your life. And have you experienced, are you comfortable talking? Have you experienced this personally in your life? Has this, has there been an element of this in your experience moving out to Dubai? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I tell people openly, um, it's good to be vulnerable. Strength comes from vulnerability. We're so worried about protecting ourselves, what our ego is like, um, how we feel like we should come across. But yeah, I went through um, a divorce Um I decided to move to the UAE. Um, I'd been here six years now. You see lots of people coming and going. You make great friends. There's this kind of high and goodbye repeated cycle of being an expat. And over time, it kind of goes, actually, it kind of hurts, you know, to keep saying goodbye to people in your life. And, you know, every no adult gets, you know, to mid-age without having more romantic relationships that cause hurt and discomfort um and i would say especially in you know seeing and speaking to so many different people while i've been here um over the run and just hearing the same sad stories you know that the you know they really get you um there's so much heartbreak here in the uae i think there's so much um unhappiness that people constantly mask and try to pretend that they're okay. You know, they've moved to the big city, they've moved abroad, they've got this great job, but deep down inside, like when it comes to a lonely evening at home, it kind of hurts. Like everybody wants to find that connection. That's what we're wired for. Um, and I feel like we can do something about that. And for me, if more people knew, that it kind of doesn't need to be this massive, like, oh, I need like 10 years worth of therapy to, to figure this out. Actually, you can see so much change in literally like 12 hours um, with the right person. Um, and if it meant that you weren't having those lonely evenings or you kind of like weren't feeling that, you know, emotional heartache that we feel, especially as expats here um, and, and being away from home, it's challenging, it's difficult. Um, and people don't want to talk about it. They want to pretend that things are okay. And 
how long can you keep that up? That seems like a lot of energy to me um, and a lot of pretense that could quite possibly become quite exhausting and very tiring over time. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, I went through this myself and it's very, very freeing. And when I look at my life before, when I was living unconsciously, it's in a way to live. It really isn't, you know, it's way better like this and it's a practice every day. Like it's not, it's not like it's fixed, but um, I'd encourage anyone to, to try and to, and to, if they want help to follow you. So charlottesburway.com is where everyone can get you and take that, take that quiz and see where you're at with your attachment. Thank you so much for speaking to us about this. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, if anyone ever has any more information, please reach out. Um, we could talk about this hours. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.